I do want you to know, um, I was just reading this week, and when I say that to you, um, I was going through the book of Revelation, and every time the angel spoke, there was an adjective attached to it. It says, they, they spoke loudly, they praised God loudly. And I thought that was pretty interesting that, that all of heaven, you know, we, we should probably get used to things being, a, when kids are a little chaotic and they're loud, we, when things around us are loud, we should probably get prepared because heaven's probably going to be a loud place. You know, when Jesus casted out demons, the Bible says that they came out with shrieks and, and loud. There was, the, you know, and so I think sometimes we have this picture, well, you know, gee, everything was very solemn around Jesus. No, you know what? It was probably, if you look at the way Jesus did business with people, it was kind of a chaotic thing. And... Um, Sometimes I think we in church, we've got this idea that it, that it must look very pious and very, you know, uh, dignified. And a lot of things that Jesus did didn't look dignified to the world, and, but they were powerful in the spirit. And that's what I desire. Not just, not just, a, a, not just emotion, okay, because that can, that can even get carried away on itself. But, but, but when there's that expression of joy, when there's that expression of what God has done. I, I, I have to say this. Um, the other day in the office, I can't remember what happened, but um, Bonnie was in there and they had received some kind of more gift that we we really could even imagine for giving away food and stuff like that. And my wife, I think she put it on video. She taped it. But Bonnie got on the floor and was rolling around, kicking her legs up in the air. She was so excited and jumping around. And... uh, but sometimes that's just, you know what, when, when, when God does something miraculous, you know, it's, it's an ex- there's excitement, and there should be. It shouldn't be that we have to hold it all in. We can let that out. That's the joy of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want you to know that there is, what is the distance between heaven and hell? Where we spend eternity, it can be decided by 18 inches. What are you, what are you talking about today, Greg? 18 inches between your head and your heart. This relationship with Christ is more than head knowledge of who Jesus is. Jesus can bounce around in your head, and yet you'll never truly know who He is. I used this scripture on Tuesday night in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. In the New Living Translation, it says, Don't look only to your own interests, but take interest in others too. You may have the same attitude that Christ had. In the NIV, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. This word attitude here, or mindset, is the word phreneo. And it means to think. It means to, um, in the Greek, it means to judge. It means to, to seek. But the word has a little bit more to it. And the reason I'm bringing it up again this morning is because Pastor Mark and I, we talked about it after Tuesday night. And there was something very dynamic about this. And, I wanna, and I'm hoping that I can express it just briefly this morning. But phreneo, it means it's that gut. It's that, it's that, it's that diaphragm area. And it's that inner perspective that shows itself in outward behavior. See, it's not just enough to have a knowledge of who Jesus is, but what Jesus has done for you should do something within your inner being. It should change you from the gut. See, 
The distance between heaven and hell, I says, 18 inches from your head to your heart. A lot of people have it here, but they're, they're, they, haven't, they don't really know who Christ is because they've never really experienced Him in their heart. This word, I believe it's so important because it has, it has the, the idea, it, it's very difficult to translate into English because it has two aspects, visceral and cognitive aspects of the thinking. Now, I'm not trying to get into some psychological thing here, but I, what I wanted you to understand this morning is this visceral part, it is characterized by or proceeding from an instinct rather than intel, intellect. It's not just something in your mind. It's something that just, is, it's going to flow out of you instinctively. And I love this part, gut, deep down, deep-seated, deep-rooted. That's what that word has to do with. It's that deep down in here. It's not enough just to know Him here in your knower. It, you have to know Him down deep within you. The other part of this is the cognitive aspect. It's that process of acquiring knowledge and understanding. So you have to have both of these parts. And sometimes we stop at the one, we get the, we get the, the intellectual part, but we forget the heart part. I used this little translation of what I was just saying. I said this, it's not just taught, it's caught. It's exercised in my thinking, which is discipline, and then it roots deep in my heart through obedience. See, that inner perspective that Thayer's talks about in his, in his Bible dictionary, the inner perspective, the insight that shows itself in corresponding outward behavior. If you truly know who Jesus Christ is and you've experienced Him, something different happens within you. It's not a mechanical reaction anymore. It flows from deep within your spirit. Men throughout the Bible have had an encounter with God. David built altars. Abraham built altars. Jacob built altars. The place, the altar, is a place of dedication, consecration, and commemoration. This Memorial Day weekend... I thought it was suitable that we would think about and just for a moment take a look at what it means, the altar means. This altar was an opening between heaven and us. It's, if you want to say it, and I don't want to get sound um, new agey, but if you want to say it, it's a portal between us and heaven. It's that opening, it's that open sky, it's, that, it's that, that place where God meets man. An altar in speaking in the days of the, of, of the, the Old Testament, it is not just a, a, a thing. I remember talking to someone not too long ago and they said something about this being an altar. Listen, I, when I, I want you to understand when we get done today is what an altar truly is in the Bible. It isn't something, it's within that heart, it's in that visceral yeah, there may be things that we do. We put in, we put these, this bench up here. And yes, it is an altar. It is an assembly altar for us to come to. This whole, this whole place to me though is the place for that. This altar is always open. This altar is always available for you. Building an altar unto the Lord. Today I'm speaking in the spiritual sense, not just in the physical sense. These altars that were built to God had something different about them. What I'm referring to is the concept of altar which represents in Christ. It is seen throughout Scripture as, as we build these altars, we're saying, God, establish within me that meeting place. This is it. 
This is the meeting place right here. The meeting place at your house. It may be on a, a bench or it may be on a chair in your living room. It may be on the floor flat on your face. But that's the altar. That's the altar of God. But don't get yourself to, to confined to a specific place that it has to happen. I remember a lady not too long ago, she told me, she says, Greg, I, I go spend time on this mountain up here, and the Lord is there. You need to bring everybody up here. See, God is, is He may be in your swimming pool, because that's where you spend time with the Lord. He may be in your closet, I know as an assembly, though, as the congregation, He meets us here. He meets us on the place where we bend our knee. The altar was built from a material that God had made from His own, but it was really from these stones that we're going to talk about today, that this altar from the Old Testament translates into the New Testament with us. Gideon had to tear down altars that were the wrong altars because they had been offered to the wrong gods. So there can be altars even within our own lives that are not from God. There are altars that are built to the world, to the enemy. We have to make sure that the altar that we bow to, the altar that we come to, is God's altar. If you must have to worship, if you must have to have it to worship, it's become an altar unto itself. What are you talking about? I'm saying, if you have to have a cross to kneel before, if you have to have a certain type of music, if you need to have a certain atmosphere, then I want you to know that all these articles have become an altar unto themselves. We can almost memorialize and idolize these things as a place where we encounter God. God does not want us to see that the place is so important as much as this place right here where we go to meet Him. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, it says, Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the, there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there... He built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. Every place that Abraham went, he built an altar. Because he remembered there was an, a promise, there was an encounter with God there that was so important. See, these altars represent the occasion and the place spiritually where we have an encounter with God. But it must be established, once again, in the visceral. See, the altar is not a place of shame, but a place of promise. Altars throughout the Bible had many different forms. They were a place of encounter. They were a place of forgiveness. They were a place of worship. They were a place of covenant. They were a place of intercession. But God has, been placed, has placed the altar before us so that it will alter us. See, a genuine encounter with the altar leaves us altered. It's not just head knowledge. See, we don't need more altar calls. What we need is more altered lives. There is a price to having this encounter with God. There is a price to building this altar. Building an altar involves some hefting. 
I took these rocks this morning. I should have got them from over here because I didn't know we had a whole pile of them out here. But I brought these rocks. And it was interesting to me is that I thought about the altars of the old days. See, I wanted to use some nice smooth river rock. But then I realized that these men built altars in the desert. They built altars out of things that were broken. See, many times we want to build our altar out of something that looks pretty. But God wants us to build an altar out of what we have, what's right before us. And sometimes when we come to that altar, as you can see, some of these rocks are heavy. Some of these things in our lives are weighty. The character issues that God wants to deal with in our lives, sometimes they carry with them some weight. But God says, listen, I want you to build your altar before me. It may not be pretty. But it's a place of dedication. It's a place of consecration. You say, well, Greg, you could have used prettier rocks. Yeah. I could have. But then I realized what my life looks like on the altar. See, we, sometimes we think that coming to Christ, everything's going to be roses and flowers are going to bloom and everything's going to be pretty. But I will tell you, there's times building altars. It's hard work. It's not easy coming to the altar and laying yourself bare before God. It's not easy to heft those things in life that God says, listen, I want you to bring it all to the altar. So many times we bring the broken stuff and God says, listen, I don't want just the broken stuff. I want the good stuff too. Come to me when things are good. When things are going well in your life. Come to me. Talk to me about it. See, if you want to have anything good in this life, it's going to take hard work. A good marriage doesn't just come naturally. It's hard work. A good job. A prayer life. Fasting. None of these things I would count as fun. There's a whole lot of tending that has to go along. There's a whole lot of maintaining. There's a whole lot of stewarding if I'm going to build this altar before God. What's it going to look like? Not to worship it. That's what we have a tendency to do. We've built this. Did you see what, I, did you see what I've done to the Lord? Have you, have you, have you, have you seen what, what I built God? And then, the, then the, the reaction is, is, well, this is where God met me, so you know what? Got to come back here every single time. If 
I don't have this, then I can't meet God. See, Abraham, there was a famine in the land. The Bible says, and Abraham went down. He left Bethel and went to Egypt. He left those altars. He realized that it wasn't in the altar. It was in the heart. It was in the visceral. See, sometimes we want to just hunker down next to our altar. See, God moved. So this is where I'm going to stay. Stay close to this. This is where He met me right here. I can go no place else. I've got to hunker down next to it. You, you don't understand, Greg. See, we start worshiping the place and not His face if we're not careful. Psalms talks about worshiping His face. Many times we want to stay. We want to build a memorial here. That's what happened with Peter and John. Remember when the Mount of Transfiguration, we, hey, we need to build something here. Do you see what God just did right here? We need to build something. Now, this life, I will tell you from the beginning to end, is a life of loss. Loved ones, family members, from the beginning to the end of the book, it is a book of loss. Those who fought for our freedom, loss. But I don't want us to get bogged down there because altars are not tombstones. This is not a tombstone. This is not a memorial to something that died. See, an altar is a place of promise. An altar is a place where I live. I abide there. The price of altering is what you'll pour on it. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, God wants us... And when I was a youth pastor, I had this little program I used for the kids. And I loved this picture because it had the altar and it had this guy climbing up on top of it. And this is what God really wants us to do. Is He says, listen, I want you to get on top of the altar now and pour out your life. A living sacrifice. Give me all of you. Consecrated. Dedicated. Pour your life now out on that altar. That's what He's desiring from us. Here I am, Lord. Take me. The altar, it is my responsibility to build an altar to God and maintain it and visit it frequently. I take my sin, my sorrows, my faults, my failings. I take my confidences, my joys, my praise, and my peace offerings all to the altar. An altar is intentional. Altar building is deliberate. It's desperate. In the olden days, and I haven't heard it much these days, the old days, the saints talked about grabbing the horns of the altar. This is from the, around Israel. These are the horns of the altar. The horns of the altar had 
different things. If you look in the book of Kings and in 1 Kings chapter 1 and, and, and in chapter 2, it talks about that Adonijah and Joab both grabbed a hold of the horns of the altar and begged for mercy. In Psalms 118.27, in the New American Standard, it says this, The Lord is God and He has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Why did they have to be bound to the horns of the altar? Because this, because you know what? So many times, it'd be so easy to get on the altar, here I am God, and jump off. See, they didn't want the sacrifice to slip, so they would actually put the sacrifice on there and tie it and bind it down so that it would stay. God says, listen, I want you to stay right there. Bind yourself. Take a hold of the horns of the altar and don't let go. When there's desperation in your life, when you really need God, even if things are good, we should really, that's where we should be, hanging on to the horns of the altar. I can't let go. I have to be here, God. This is where you want me. The place of sacrifice is where you want me. Surrender, service, and sacrifice. See, there's a determination in the picture of taking the horns of the altar. It meant refuge, hope, desperation, and sacrifice. When we celebrate communion, we are celebrating the grandest altar of all, the cross of Calvary, upon which the Son of God was laid as a sacrifice to reconcile all of us to Him. Dedication, consecration, and commemoration. That's my unwavering. See, so many times today, I believe, we've, we've got parts of it right. We, we talk about all these things that God has done for us, but the other half of that is my commitment level to Him. And that's what's found at the altar. Is that He makes the promise to me, but then... You look at these men of the Bible, their commitment was saying, listen, at the altar is where I'm laying it all down. I'm fully committing myself to you, God. That's what the altar represents. Not shame, but promise of where God's going to take us. If the men would come forward right now, we're going to sing this song as the men are getting communion ready. Go ahead.
Greatest altar of all. Jesus sacrificed for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your broken body. For your blood that was poured out. God, my prayer this morning is that it wouldn't just be a head knowledge. Oh, Lord, that it would get deep down inside. That we would understand even greater measure of what you did for us. Lord, I thank you for this body that was broken. This represents that, Lord. So we take that today. Go ahead and take and eat. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. Lord, the blood that was shed on Calvary saves us. It sanctifies us. It delivers us. It heals us. Lord, this morning as we partake together, go ahead. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for this altar, this opportunity we have, God. Lord, let our lives be altered at the altar, transformed to look more like you, to have your mindset, your attitude. God, we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Amen. Well, just let the Holy Spirit, yep, just let Him just, it's going it, to, it, it takes some, it, get it past here sometimes and get down into here. That 18 inches is a long run. <laughs> 18 inches is a long run. That's okay because the Lord, He does the work through His Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's all stand. I have a song I want to close with. There is a river where goodness flows. There is a fountain that drowns sorrow. There is an ocean deeper than fear. The tide is rising, rising.